The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Is faithful. That God is faithful, that we can always count on Him. That when God speaks, it is as good as done. Jesus said this himself in John 14. He says, if these things weren't so, I would not have told you. He's speaking out of his faithfulness, out of his loyalty, his steadfast love, that he is trustworthy and reliable. Wayne Grudem, in his great systematic theology, he defines God's faithfulness as this. He says it means that God will always do what he has said and fulfill what he has promised. Said more simply, we can take God at his word. Write that down if you're taking notes because that is something you want to always come back to. You can take God at his word without hesitation. We can take God at his word without hesitation. And this is a theme all throughout the scriptures. This isn't something that is just constrained here. Paul knows this. It is a a rock-solid foundational conviction of his heart uh, that is really spread all throughout these letters and all of his writings because he knows it's true and he's seen it all throughout the scriptures. Look here, just a, a few of these verses, beginning with Exodus 34. You can write them down, the verse references, come back to them, or just look at them, they're on the screen, but Exodus 34, 6 says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and what? Faithfulness. And this verse is repeated actually multiple times all throughout your scripture. As you want to know who God is, what is his character, here is one of the most profound verses in speaking of who God is. Look at the next one here. This is Numbers 23, 19. Speaking of God, he says this, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So that speak to the faithful character of God. Look again in Deuteronomy 7, Verse 9 says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The what? The faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's in the Old Testament law in the early books. But look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 71, 22. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. Oh my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. Who is it that we sing to? Who was it that we just worshiped? It's the faithful God, right? It was the faithful God. This isn't just an Old Testament passage you've seen uh, from 1 Thessalonians, but look at 1 Peter 4, verse 19. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials and difficulty, Peter reminds us and his readers then this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's an important thing to remember even in the midst of difficulty, isn't it? Even when times get tough, that it is not as though God has somehow left the situation that you find yourself in. 
But no, the faithful creator who started things, who was the source of life itself, is sustaining you throughout the difficulty, throughout the suffering, according to his will. God is a faithful God. Beloved, behold the faithfulness of God. Do you see it? Do you see it in the scriptures? Have you seen it in your own life? So look here now as we come back to here. We've set the stage. We know this is who our God is. Behold the faithfulness of God in these verses. Paul closes this letter now with a final prayer, a prayer request for them. You see that? It is really a wrapping up. We, it's coming on the heels of all the commands, right? All 17 commands that were in our previous verses from last week. And lest we think that those commands depend entirely upon us, that, oh no, I gotta do these. I gotta work hard at these things, which indeed we do. But lest we think that it depends entirely upon us, look now how Paul prays. He says, now may the God of peace the God of peace. This isn't like some inner silence. What he's referring to is reconciliation. The fact that God has reconciled us or made peace with humanity through whom? Through Jesus. Now may the God of peace, the one who uh, provided the way that we could be reconciled, that we could, could be connected to him, that he may what? Sanctify us completely. Look at the emphasis here in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself and we can read over that word, but himself is there really for emphasis, that this is on his work. May God, the God of peace himself, may he do this work of sanctifying you completely, referring to the whole person. Jesus wants the, your entire being. He wants your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? When we uh, looked at those verses last week, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will. Can we do that apart from being all in in our faith. No. God wants our entire being. He doesn't just want a part of us. And so he's saying, may God sanctify us or set us apart or make us holy that we would live in light of who we are and who God has said we are. At our reconciliation, we are declared right with God. And as we then continue to live our life out this process of sanctification, God is uh, working in us to become what he has already said we are in the entirety of our being. Look at what he says there. He goes on to refer to both the immaterial and the material parts of our being. He's sanctifying our spirit and our soul, those immaterial things, the things that we uh, think and, and uh, you know, are go on in our heart, but also in our body, the things that we do and how we honor him. See, this is what God is doing in us. Becoming a Christian is not just, uh, you know, conforming to an outward, outward set of uh, behaviors, God isn't just so uh, concerned with making sure that you toe the line and do all the right things. No, God is after our heart. He is after uh, what's going on in here, that the desires of our heart would be for him as well. And out of those desires then, influence how we behave. The things that we do or the things that we don't do. This is what God is doing in us. He is making us new inside and out. He has raised us to life that we might worship him in the things that we think and the things that we say and the things that we do. This is God's work. 
As he does this here, sanctifying us completely, and look where he takes us then as well. This is a great summary of where we've been these last few chapters in this book. And he says that we be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our return, his, his, when we will be glorified. You notice what we just covered here? God is involved in our salvation from start to finish. From the very beginning that the God of peace here through the sanctification process till that future day that we look forward to when we are glorified, God himself is working this out. He is both the source and the sustainer and the security of our faith. This doesn't diminish our responsibilities, but rather it gives us great confidence for our success in doing those things that he calls us to do, to live responsibly, to live in faith and repentance. Because look at verse 24. It gives us great confidence for our success because look at this. He who calls you is what? Faithful. And he will surely do it. Faithful is he who calls He's bringing us back to God's faithfulness. He's just given us the whole scope of our salvation and praying for these things, but faithful is he who calls. And this calls, you maybe have heard this, maybe in the context of like a pastor or someone said that they're called to ministry um, or that God called me to Africa or God has called me to do this. That's actually really a foreign concept to the scriptures. What he's uh, speaking here of is the effectual gospel call to salvation. And and Paul said the same thing in a different way to the Philippian church. You can write this down, Philippians 1, 6, and go look at it at some point, but he says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who's that referring to? It's referring to God himself, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, God's faithfulness is evident in every step of the way in our salvation. He is the one who calls us. That is what he's speaking of here. It's the effectual gospel call of salvation that God does in our heart at regeneration. That moment when we are born again, as John would refer to, or when, when our dead souls are brought to life by faith, when God summons us, when God says, awake, and our blind eyes can then see the ugliest of our sin against God and the beauty of the grace and mercy of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And when God calls into existence those things that are impossible, that is the gospel call when God does that. At his word, creation came into being, right? Ex nihilo, out of nothing. At his promise, Abram and Sarah conceived when they were well beyond fertility, right? At his command, Lazarus came out of a grave when he had been multiple days dead. And at God's call, saving faith came into existence in our own dead hearts, those who call Jesus Lord. Amen? Faithful is he who calls you, and he will surely do it. Beloved, behold the faithfulness of God to save you. Beloved, behold the faithfulness of God to save you and to continually sanctify you, making you more like Jesus Christ. Behold, see God's faithfulness. And to you who are just checking this out, you who maybe are just coming to church and are trying to figure out this faith thing, this Jesus thing, did you know that there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved? 
If you know this, if you have heard the gospel call, then today do not harden your heart. Respond to his call now. Just simply say this, Lord. Just say, I give up. Done doing this on my own. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, my faith is in you, Jesus. You are the faithful one, and I am not. Save me from my sin that I may live forever. Guess what? We pray that prayer in faith. God is calling us. He will surely do it. He will surely save you. And he will work on you for the rest of your days so you become more and more like Jesus. So God is a faithful God, isn't he? And we've been using this illustration of a, of a builder. But when a builder comes on the job and he loves his job, he stays on it till it is finished, Right? He sees that the foundation is poured is according to the plan that he established beforehand in the project. He stays on it. He keeps the progress rolling all the way until the end when he presents that home perfect and blameless, both inside and out, no detail left undone. And he presents those keys on move-in day. See, this is what God is doing in our own heart as he is, he set the plan, he is working out the plan, he is keeping it rolling. And on move-in day, when we get to heaven, on that day when we are presented blameless, do you see this? Where we'll be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He is a good builder seeing that this will bring, this building project will be brought to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is a faithful builder. God is a faithful and good builder. He has done this. And so as certain as our regeneration was originated in Christ, so too is our sanctification, so too is God's faithfulness to us through this life. And if, you know, like, get this, if our salvation banked on our faithfulness, our faithfulness to keep the commands that God has laid out just in the preceding verses, then our faith is toast, isn't it? I mean, who can say that I've done these things uh, faithfully, to a T, perfectly, none of us have. But we bank on his faithfulness from first to last, amen? We bank on his faithfulness, otherwise everything we are doing here today is in vain. It's for nothing. Planting this church, setting up these things, doing this, worshiping here, this would be in vain, it'd be all for naught. If we were to call ourselves Christian, obeying the Bible, all these things would be pointless apart from the faithfulness of God. Beloved, behold it towards you. Think deeply upon it. Savor the security that it gives and embrace the assurance that you have. Keep pressing ahead no matter what in the responsibility even that it brings, which is how this letter ends. See his great prayer. We're to behold the faithfulness of God, but because God is faithful, look at verse 25. Because God is faithful, we pray. Notice these final kind of commands. You know, he's bringing down the letter. It's as you think about how you uh, write letters, maybe. Some of you, anybody write letters anymore? A few people. It's like, I write emails. No, we're all like super fast and send quick texts to people. But he's bringing down this letter. And so here are just some final requests out of the faithfulness of God, wrapping up the entirety of the teaching and the things that he has written in this letter. Here are a few things that he wraps up. Because God is faithful, we pray. He says, brothers, pray for us. This is a specific call to pray for him, for his, him as their pastor, their spiritual leaders. And so even because God is faithful, will you, here's just a practical application. Will you pray for me? 
now if you want, but ongoing, add me to your prayer list. I need it. I am no different than you. Everybody in here needs some prayer? Yeah, put me on the list too. I need it. Pray for us. We, because God is faithful, we pray. This is another final call to be dependent on God. And haven't we seen that all throughout this book, all throughout this letter? Paul's been calling them to greater dependency upon the Lord. Because God is faithful, we pray. How was your week of prayer this week? Was it good? Was it good to have those calls to, to pray, those reminders that we could pray each day about things collectively, uh, uh, all together? I hope it was beneficial for you. Those are gonna be continual, normal rhythms of our church. We wanna have just weeks or days or seasons, whatever it may be, where we as God's people uh, commit to praying for the same things together, praying for one another, praying for specific requests, praying for greater passion and fervency for the Lord himself. We know these things are true. It goes almost without saying, but isn't communication is vital to every relationship, isn't it? If you don't talk to one another, you don't have a relationship. It's just a mere acquaintance. God's people pray because we relate to the Lord. We want to know the Lord and be known by him. So we pray. But second, because God is faithful, look at verse 26. We welcome, we welcome, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Who gave someone a kiss when they came in here that was not a family member of theirs? Anybody? Nobody kiss one another? You know, just, man. Next week, I'll stand out front and just be ready for y'all. That's right. Ain't nobody like, note stuff. We ain't coming next week. Um, just kidding. There's a cultural context here, isn't there? There's a cultural context here. Kissing was normal then. You would kiss the feet of dignitaries and you would kiss the cheek of a friend. And so obviously it doesn't have the same meaning today. There is a cultural context, but what it did is it said, show appropriate affection for one another. Church, as we gather together, it's not just meant to be a place where we come, we sneak in, we sit in, we don't talk to anybody, and then we peace out before the final prayer uh, is, is said. No, we're to have affection for one another. We're to welcome one another. We're to get to know one another as we come. That appropriate affection is good and right. We don't kiss anybody now, but what what do we do? We give hugs, we give handshakes. Those things are good. Those things are right. Anybody ever been a part of a church or had somebody at work that had that crushing handshake? There's been a couple people that I've known just had these massive uh, farm-hardened hands that you just stick it in there and, and like, that's why I think my fingers are so long because I gave them a handshake so much and they just like squeezed them and just elongated my fingers here as a kid. But you can never get by them because they were just, they were greeting you and I think they just did it, you know, when I was a young boy like that because they just had that reputation, but... Appropriate affection is good and right, right? Not just for insiders, but towards all who would come, towards our guests. You know, we want people to be loved and welcomed as they come in, not to feel like they're just crashing some sort of family reunion, um, but also not going to the point where they're like, hey, this is my new best friend. We want people to know as they come in that they are a welcomed, valued, loved person. If you're a guest with us today, we hope that you know that today and that you are warmly greeted in the Lord as a valued brother or sister in Christ. And so this is what we do. God is faithful. And so we can welcome one another. We can pray to him. But look, how, what's, look what's next. We stay in the scriptures. See verse 27? Here he uses some pretty strong language, but Paul is convinced of the power of God's word. 
He knows that God's word is powerful, that it, the gospel is what is God's power unto salvation, and that God works through it. And so that's why he uses this strong language to have it distributed and not just hoarded or kept together. He says, I put you under oath. That's really strong language before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And so notice the importance here and, and he, see the context of what he's saying. In those days, people didn't have a personal copy of God's word. I mean, if you've got a Bible before you and you know, digital or hard copy, raise it up. Like, you got one before you here? Yeah. See, this is a unique time in all of human history that God's people have a personal copy of God's word. Now, how many of you have multiple copies you know, old ones, some on your, uh, on your shelf, maybe uh, other translations. I mean, if you have your phone before you, you have access to literally thousands of different translations and languages of God's word. And that is a thing unheard of in most of human history. And so this was very important for God's people to have this read, this letter read to the people because they didn't just have a, their own copy. And so if uh, the leaders who received it, if they're just like, oh, this is a great letter to Paul, Paul's saying, no, everybody needs to hear these words. They needed to hear it. It's why they, every week, you know, we didn't have their own personal copies, so that's why it was so important to be at church or at synagogue on Sundays because that was where the collective corporate copy of the scriptures was held. So he puts them under an oath, like a, you know, like one of our small group commitments or our membership commitments. This isn't like uh, expecting perfection, just honesty and sincerity and intentional effort to keep their responsibility. Well, that they were under oath here, make sure everyone that is a part of this Thessalonica church hears these words. And so we must too, we must too stay in the scriptures because God is faithful. We know the power of God's word. We know that this is our sustenance, that God has given us his word. So we stay in it. We need to have regular times hearing, listening, reading, taking in the Bible. And lastly, we dwell in grace. Because God is faithful, we dwell in grace. See this last letter, this last, or this last verse of this letter, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That's not just like a trite saying. It's not just a nice way to end it because God's grace will never depart from us. For those who are in Christ, God's grace is receiving that gift that we didn't deserve when in fact we deserved wrath. But we received this gift of knowing Christ Jesus himself. And so we dwell in grace, knowing the faithfulness of God. We dwell in God's grace. May God's grace be with us. Isn't that what we want as a church? Isn't that what we want individually? That God's grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, that his salvation, that his very presence, that we would know him we would seek the Lord and his strength, that we would seek his presence continually. Psalm 105.5 says, these are the things that we want, the grace of God's, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we dwell in grace. Beloved, as we come to the end of this book, would you stand in awe of what God has done? Not literally stand right now. We'll do that in a second. But would you just take that in? Would you stand back? It's as if the house is being built. Here's we've made our way throughout this entire book. Would you just stand back and reflect on what God has done in the life of our church these past six months? Would you marvel at his faithfulness in your own life? 
How have you grown? What have you learned? As you answer that question, I think what you will see is God's faithfulness to you. I think you will see God's faithfulness to you. The very fact that you are alive and here right now shows that God is faithful, that he is gracious, that he is loving to you, that he is working in your life, that he has sustained your life to this point. God is faithful. And so as we close this message now, as we close really this entire series, I'm gonna, we're going to obey verse 27, and I'm going to read the entire letter. All right? So we're like, the whole thing? It's just three pages. It takes all of like, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight minutes, depending on how fast I read. But we're going to read it all. And as I do so, I want you to listen, but I want you to also answer just three questions. They're on the back of your sermon notes, if you have them. They're also going to be put on the screen right here. Just three things that I want you to reflect on in regards to the faithfulness of God. How have you seen God at work in our church? How have you seen God at work in your own life? And then as you think through 1 Thessalonians 1 to 5, what have been the most impactful verses? Those ones that have really challenged you or maybe convicted you. Those ones that have been the most meaningful or they were timely for you at that point. Just in this book, but we want to take just the time to respond to these things, to reflect upon what God has done through this book. God's word is powerful, isn't it? God's word is at work. And so I'm going to read this. I just want you to follow along and listen, if you will, um, as, as just read it from start to finish and take a moment and answer those questions. And at the end, when I'm finished reading, I actually want to hear from some of you. And so AJ is bringing down a, a mic here, and as I'm done reading it, if there's been an impactful verse, I, want, I just want to be encouraged as well, and I think it will encourage the body of Christ. And so if you have a verse or maybe two uh, in, in sequence there from 1 Thessalonians, not just anywhere in the Bible, but from this series that have been really meaningful to you, really impactful, God has used, then we'll, I just want to ask five or six people um, to come and just share it. No commentary or anything, but uh, we're going to do that after I read so you got where we're going? I'm going to read it. You reflect. You answer these questions. And then that last one, how, what has been an impactful verse? Just five or six, you know, men or women, boys or girls. You can just come and, and share it at the end. So listen here as I read the letter and you answer those questions. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in all our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, 
and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you all to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from our own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So it was also always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. And when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it's come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? 
as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you for God has not called us to impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anyone, anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who are asleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we have belonged to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And everybody said, amen, amen. Isn't God faithful? Isn't God faithful? I'm really curious to know what you answered in those uh, questions. How have you seen God at work in our church? How have you seen God at work in your own life? And you'll get an opportunity to actually do that this week during small group. All right, to answer those two questions and to share with uh, those that are walking with you through life of what God has done, how you've seen him at work here in our church, here in, our, uh, in your own life. But now I'd just like to, to close. I wanna hear from you. And so AJ's right here. Let's just get five or six people. I know we've just heard these verses, but what have been those verses that have been impactful for you? And so you can just come on down, just share them um, with us, five or six. What are those scriptures that have uh, been convicting, that uh, have been challenging uh, for you? So come on and let's, uh, let's hear it. AJ will help you with the microphone there. So come on, Amy, let's, uh, what's God done?